Mona. Hello, hello. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. All right. Welcome to part two. You made it. You waited a full. She's counting on her fingers. Five days. <laughs> Do you count Thursday or no? Four days? I mean. Four days? <laughs> you know what? You know why we have a hard time with that? Because of being paralegals, yeah. being in the legal system. I never had a hard time deciding how many days to yes. count until yes. learning how to count for the court system. And for calendaring. So yeah. for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a quick little rundown. When <laughs> you're counting for legal days, if it's under 90 days, you count. You don't count weekends. You count Monday, th- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, because if you say you have a 20-day deadline, that doesn't include weekends That just in- or court holidays. It just includes days the court is open yeah if it's over 90 days i think that's the number in most places you do include the holidays and the and the number in the weekends so sometimes i have to genuinely think on a regular basis okay you're saying oh in seven days but is that okay so seven days real people or seven days legal like what are we doing here (laughs) seven days civilian seven days civilian so that's why I had to count on my hands. I'm not just genuinely stupid. <laughs> anyway, you waited the whole four days, four or yes. five days if you're counting Thursday. You yes. get to part two. And here we are. And here we are. Thanks for waiting. Henry Lee Jones. Henry Lee Jones. So for those in the back, can you give us a recap? Yeah. So I believe we left off with all of his crimes that he had. Yes committed leading up to what he finally gets caught for and i believe you know he had theft and assault and domestic violence and gun charges and he loved to flee man that man he did and like to hide in in places like in showers and cars cars. yeah yeah so yeah so i remember the shower now it's also been a week for us because we recorded part one last week and part two this week. Yes. So. So hopefully that kind of jogs your memory. It does. It for does. anybody who isn't listening back to back. And yeah. So now we can continue with the crimes that led to his capture. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob as a kid. Mom, you know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. No, it. I understand it too, but it's been a point of contention in our house for a long time. <laughs> well, you're an adult now. You can watch now. It's I don't want to watch it now. He's annoying. But I understand. <laughs> I I love you. I understand why you didn't let us watch Spongebob, but it's really funny to tease you about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let's do it. On August 22nd, 2003. That's my brother's birthday, except he was born in 2005. I got really excited and then I... Thought he was born on the same day, but my brother was born in 2005. Sorry. Better not give his name away. He'll get his identity stolen. I'm just kidding. My brother's name is Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. You'll never know. Oh, my God. This is so out of control. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Anyway, let me back up a second anyway, because I forgot to mention... That the reminder that remember that during all many of the his crimes, he should have been in jail. Yes. Serving a 30 year sentence, but he got released early because Florida 
prisons were too crowded, so they just started all willy-nilly releasing people, no matter what their record was. Yeah, not like the non-violent drug offenses, like the violent no. offenses. It was both. It was yeah. just, I don't know how they chose, but yeah, they let out. They didn't. They just put, you know, they just started pulling files. <laughs> randomly it was like a seniority thing you've been here the longest <laughs> go I just rolled a, a d20 and they're like <laughs> okay or a d100 all right 72 you're free <laughs> Nat 20 that's 20 people let him go anybody feeling lost she's referring to dungeons and dragons yeah sorry you, you need to be here longer <laughs> your girl plays dnd <laughs> so that's where we are and now it's august 22nd 2003 Henry- not my brother's birthday not Savannah's brother's birthday. Henry picked up a 20-year-old Tavares, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Tavares Young at a park in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm going to Fort Lauderdale next week. Well, don't pick up anyone named Tavares. All right. Henry offered Tavares money for sex. Being homeless and running from law enforcement himself, for allegedly attempting to firebomb his ex-girlfriend's house. Tavares probably, I'm guessing, didn't have a lot of options, so he accepted okay. and got in Henry's van. Before they got to the sex part, though, Henry took him around running errands and supposedly even stopping at the Miami-Dade County Courthouse to pay some tickets. <laughs> I just threw that in because I found it comical. (laughs) It's so bizarre. You're literally. And I think that it shows his audacity. Like in all of the, like I tried very hard to tell this story in a way to really show this man is so audacious in everything he does. Like he just. He's got some cojones for sure. Yeah. Then I guess they stop somewhere. I'm not sure where. Tavares performed oral sex on him, and then Henry invited him to go to Daytona to meet up with some girls he knew. And Tavares said, okay, sounds like a plan. All right. They go to Daytona. They stayed the night with the girls that Henry knew. But Tavares woke up to Henry arguing with one of those girls. And so they leave abruptly. And when they left, Henry said now he wanted to go visit some family. He didn't say where. He didn't say who exactly. He just said, I want to go up north to visit some family. That's not suspicious at all. I would say never go to a second location, but this is like a fourth location. (laughs) Yeah, this is several, several locations in. Tavares claimed that he slept most of the way, so he didn't really know exactly where they were where they were headed but he said that when he did wake he would try to talk to henry and henry would just ignore him and not respond but he stayed with him anyway okay i have a lot of questions but i i don't want it to ever come off like i'm like victim blaming i know so it had to have been it had to have been that he was like being held hostage right like i think He probably just got increasingly nervous Mm -hmm. about Henry's behavior. That's really what I mean, like, to the point where he felt like he couldn't leave. Yes. 
And he doesn't know where he is. He's homeless. He has no yeah. money. And like recently and homeless, it sounded he's like. He's got a warrant. Yes. It was recently. Because I think he was living At with the that girlfriend's. girlfriend's. Yeah. And she kicked him out. Is well, I the mean, he tried to firebomb her place. So that makes sense. Yeah. So eventually the pair arrived in Bartlett, a smaller city just east of Memphis, Tennessee. And Henry parked at an apartment complex and then proceeded to exit the van and cross the street. So Tavares followed. Yeah. At this point, why not? He saw Henry approach a house. The garage was open. And inside was 82-year-old Clarence James. According to Tavares, Henry said, Hey, Pops, how you doing? To which Clarence responded, Doing fine. So Tavares is thinking this is his family he wanted to come see, right? After exchanging some niceties, Clarence told Tavares that he was in the garage waiting on someone to come mow his lawn. Tavares saw the mower sitting in the front yard, so he offered to help, but Clarence declined, instead asking him to push the mower to the backyard. When Tavares returned to the front of the house... The garage door was closed, and Henry and Clarence were gone. So Tavares went to the front door, realized it was open, entered the home, thinking, well, they couldn't have gone far. They they must be inside the house. He walked in to see Henry walking across the room with a rope and a towel in hand then throw 64-year-old Lillian James to the floor and say, quote, old lady, do you know what time it is? It's giving, like, wannabe, do you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's trying so hard to be dramatic. Yes. So, Tavares then watched as Henry strangled Lillian with the rope and pulled out a knife, which he used to cut her throat. My gosh, that's a horrifying scene. Henry then shoved a bag in Tavares's hand and ordered him to follow. Henry led them into the laundry room just off the garage where Clarence was lying bound in a pool of blood. So just in the time that Tavares took to push a lawnmower... Yeah, literally from the front to the backyard. ...to the backyard and come back... Henry had managed to close the garage door, shove Clarence inside, and bind his hands and cut his throat. So crazy. Like, that's so fast. Henry then grabbed the rope bindings off of Clarence and placed them in the bag that he had given to Tavares. He gathered valuables, including the contents of Lillian's purse, rings she was wearing, and any cash and credit cards they could find. Once they left, they stopped to purchase gas, as well as some new clothing and shoes with the stolen credit cards. Oh, yeah, because that's so smart. That's so genius. Can you imagine? Like, there's no way he didn't have some blood on him. And two two dudes walk into a store to buy clothes... With one of the, at least one of them has blood on their clothes, and they're using a credit card in the name of Lillian James. So dumb. And this was in 
2003. So, yeah, the bank can track, like... So you... Like, there would have been tracking, but I mean, in 2003, you still had to sign for everything. Like, you know how oh, now yeah. there's all the rules of, like, purchases under a certain amount you don't have to sign for. They don't even look at your card. You don't hand your card yeah. to anybody anymore. That wasn't the case in 2003. In 2003, a lot of stores didn't have the little self. Yeah, you have to hand them your check card. Out. You had to hand them your card. You had to sign for everything. It's wild to me that nobody stopped and asked, like, whoa, yeah, friend. Well, and what's so stupid about it to me is like, and, and I don't know how this would have been then, but now I'm telling you. I work in probate and elder law. And so as soon as a bank finds out a date of death for somebody, especially the big banks, they find the card on date of death. And mm-hmm. all of those purchases that happened after date of death, if they're not like recurring charges, they look into them. So if you think that you're just going to be able to walk into a convenience store and well, buy- Well, this is literally like right before the No, found. I know. But okay. I'm saying that like eventually if oh, they yeah. feel like, oh, they're going to feel like, oh, let's let's see where her card is. The bank is going to say, well, they checked out at this convenience store. Let's see if they have footage. Like, yeah. come on now. But, well, it just go- he's very audacious. He's- I keep wanting to say bootylicious and that's not- <laughs> That is not what I'm well, trying to say. He got real bootylicious with Tavares after that because Tavares is going along, but he clearly is scared. Yeah. Um. And then as they got in the van to head south again, Henry threatened to kill him and cut off his penis if he told anybody. <laughs> Come on, man. That's not cool. Don't threaten so, like that. Uh, they had to drive together they're driving together until they make it to batesville mississippi where they stop at a car dealership henry paid cash for a 1993 lincoln town car which he drove and then he ordered tavares to drive the van that they had been in oh yeah i thought like as i'm reading this story i thought they were gonna I thought he would exchange the car like he's trying yeah. to get a different car in case somebody saw them in the van leave, you know. No, he he made Tavares drive the van back. So they continued south and Henry continued to use the stolen credit cards to purchase gas for both vehicles all along the way. He's real smart. At some point, Tavares said that they stopped at a rest area where Henry raped him. Mm. Of course, this all takes place over a couple days, a few days. So on, it's now August 25th, 2003, and they were back in Florida driving down I-95. Tavares grew increasingly desperate to get away from Henry. He had no idea what Henry would do to him once he didn't need him anymore. Like, he needed him to drive that van back. Yeah. But once they're done... He's like, what's he going to do to me? So he began to speed down I-95 and dodge in and out of traffic in an attempt to get away from Henry. But he eventually saw a police cruiser ahead of him. So he went up and started tailgating the cruiser. The officer just flashed his lights in a warning. So Tavares sped up and passed him so that the officer would pull him over. For some unknown reason, Tavares lied to the officer about who Henry was. Ugh. 
they stopped him and he told the officer that Henry was his dad or his stepdad or something. But shortly after they stopped, Henry had caught up and he stopped and pulled up behind them in the town car. And he told the officer that Tavares was just a kid. He was paying to drive the van back to Florida. So the officer checks both of their backgrounds while they wait. And he saw that there was an arrest warrant for Tavares. So he arrested him. Yeah. And he told Henry, well, you know, I'm going to need to hold this van that he's driving for so much time Mm -hmm. as we book him for his arrest. But you can come back later and pick it up. And Henry never came back. Hmm. It's almost like he was like, well, if he's there, he's going to tell them so I can't come back. Yes. It's either that or he was too busy finding his next victim. Oh, no. Because the very next day, on August 26, 2003... Henry's new town car is seen at a Super 8 motel in Melbourne, Florida, where he pulls in to the front office and 19-year-old Carlos Perez gets out of the vehicle, runs in to book a room. The very next day, on the 27th, housekeeping found the body of Carlos Perez in the bed in that room that he booked, wrapped in a blanket. It was determined by marks on his wrists and ankles that he had been bound and that he was choked or strangled before his throat was cut so badly that his windpipe was severed. Oh, my gosh. Investigators believed that there had been at least four people in the room as they collected DNA evidence on cigarette butts found. Okay. On August 28th, the detectives from Melbourne drove the 150 miles south to Fort Lauderdale to find out what was Carlos Perez doing so far from home. Yeah. On a Tuesday night or whatever it was, you know, it was just unusual. They learned that the last time his father saw him was when Carlos left for work on the morning of August 26th. So detectives paid a visit to Carlos's employer, a place called Dependable Temps, where, lo and behold, they spot a Lincoln Town car matching the description that the motel employee had seen. The vanity plate, 69 BAM, because remember, <laughs> remember uh, Henry's nickname is BAM. 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 His vanity plate, 69 BAM, was not registered to the town car, but it did belong to Henry, who also worked at the temp agency. Why did he put his vanity plate on this car that he picked up to keep himself away from a crime scene? On August 30th... Oh my gosh, she's so dumb. Melbourne detectives learned that law enforcement in Bartlett, Tennessee, were inquiring about Henry's vehicle registration as well. The team shared information and crime scene photos, which were compared, and they realized they may have a serial killer on their hands. Yeah. They also made the connection with Tavares, who was sitting in a Broward County jail. So after questioning him 
they were able to get an indictment in Bartlett for the murders of Clarence and Lily and James. However, it would take a fugitive hunter to catch him. Band like, name. literally a detective that specifically. Band name, Fugitive Hunter. Fugitive Hunter. <laughs> That's a good band name. That's a good band name. <laughs> so, uh, the Fort Lauderdale detective and Fugitive Hunter, Chuck Morrow, arrested Henry on September 18th, 2003, after a car chase. He then found a pair of Nikes in the trunk of the car that matched the footwear impressions found in the Super 8 Motel in Melbourne. So now they have evidence of both of those murders. But we're going to talk about Tennessee first. I'm going to kind of break it down one by one. Because obviously he's committed murders in multiple states. There are multiple trials, right? Yeah. Multiple things. So first Tennessee... Henry and Tavares both were extradited to Bartlett, while Florida detectives combed through murder cases throughout the Southeast to see if any others matched his signature binding, strangulation, and neck cutting. Now, I'm going to try and first break down some of the evidence that was used in the trials. Just bear with me. I wasn't quite sure, like, what direction, because some of it, you know, when you're dealing with serial murders. Yeah, there's just a lot. And there's evidence, like some of the evidence that they use in each trial has to do with the other murders because it's to show that's that person's MO, if you yeah. will. Like, So it's a lot of crime. He's had a <laughs> career for sure. So as I said already, they found the DNA evidence in the Super 8 motel with Carlos Perez's body and the footwear print matched to the shoes found in Henry's car. They also had eyewitness testimony of a black man with Carlos Perez in a white town car at the time they checked in, which matched the vehicle parked outside of their work, and it was the vehicle he was driving when he was arrested. They found the video footage from a gas station in Melbourne, Florida, showing a black man driving a white town car who used a credit card that had been stolen from Mrs. James Lillian Lillian in Bartlett, Tennessee. Tavares Young agreed to testify about Mr. and Mrs. James being murdered. Detectives also had a statement from Brandy Collins, Henry's last girlfriend, that linked him further to the murder before those murders, the Keith Gross murder. Mm Mm-hmm. The one found hogtied in his house. Yeah, that they thought it was the friend. Yes. Brandy told detectives that in the past, Henry told her that if he ever killed anyone, he would do it by cutting their throat front. This is funny. Quote, front and back. Not front to back, but front and back. (laughs) Because it would make them die instantly, is what he said. Okay. No, but okay. (laughs) She said, on another occasion, Henry told her that Keith, specifically, was, quote, going to make me kill him if he didn't, if he don't give me my money. So apparently Keith owed him money. I was going to say, I don't remember him owing him money, but I believe you. She said that the two met in jail, and when they were both released, Henry had sold some things to Keith, but... 
Keith had yet to pay him in full. Okay. The night of September 6th, 2002, we're kind of backing up to that. Henry showed up to Brandy's apartment covered in blood asking for a clean shirt. When she asked him what happened, he told her he got into a fight with Keith and one of Keith's friends. Okay. He then left her apartment and returned a couple hours later and placed a knife that he regularly carried on him under her mattress. She said he was agitated, sweating, and twitching in his sleep all night. And a few days later, Henry stayed home from work all day watching the news. And when it was reported that they had found Keith's body, he basically told Brandy, I said I was going to kill him. So that's what he gets. Bruh. Yeah. That is a long list of guilty behavior followed by a literal confession. Yes. So once forensic samples were collected and prints from Henry, uh, they also had a matching toe print that had been left in blood on the Keith Gross crime scene. If somebody tried to take my toe print, they wouldn't get a swift kick. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They'd really have to pin me down. Don't touch my feet. Yeah, that would be really bad. Now, I'm going to try and keep the trial coverage brief because it, I mean, honestly. He did it. It was, it was what you would expect. Yeah. They're not all interesting, folks. I mean, as you can tell, he's very audacious. He didn't try very hard to cover his own tracks. No, he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't good at that part. His license plate said 69 BAM. What do you expect from (laughs) this man? Secrecy? Yeah. No. So first up was the Bartlett, Tennessee trial, which didn't take place until 2009. Ooh, that's a long time. Of course, he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder for Clarence and Lillian James. I could just tell you that Henry chose to defend himself, and you could probably guess how well that went. Like, garbage? (laughs) Don't do that. But we're all in luck. Because I found a clip of him testifying on the stand. Oh, no, I don't really want to, but I will. But I didn't know that y'all were going to do me like this. I ain't murdered them people. And the family member, I'm sorry for what happened to them. But I don't know what happened to them. I didn't do it. So you knew Clarence James, right? I didn't know him. I just seen him. You ever walk past his driveway? I walked past his house plenty of times. Was he out there? Numerous of times. Was he out there? Him and, him and his wife was out there. And he didn't speak to you? I, ne- I wasn't even that close. I was on the other side. I live on the other side. And he wouldn't wave at you? What's your point? Did you answer my question? I, sir, just, asked, I, just, told, I just told you that I never spoke to him, never talked to him. Did he wave at I you? I seen him. Did he wave at you? I never talked to the man. I didn't ask if he talked to you. Did he wave at you, sir? Did he wave at you? No, he never waved at me. And you're the only one in Bartlett he wouldn't yeah, wave at. Is okay. that it? Okay. Is that right? That's what you're saying. I'm asking I you, sir. I never talked to him. I he, never waved at me. He never waved at me. He never waved at you. Thank you, sir. I ain't never murked them, folks. So, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Number one, we should use the word murk more. <laughs> Number two, this is why you have legal counsel, because he doesn't understand how questioning works. So, he's standing there, and he's like, did he wave at you? And he's like... I already said I didn't speak to him. Yeah. 
That's not what he asked. Just answer what he asked. I couldn't believe that the judge didn't. I I, I had the same thought. I can't believe that the judge allowed that behavior. I mean, probably. Or allowed him to represent himself. It's just not in that clip. They probably did try to tell him. Yes. Because we'll get into, it gets more ridiculous with all the different trials and appeals and and stuff. His behavior. When it comes to this. But that should give you a pretty clear picture as to how the entire thing was. Also, because you can't see it because we're just going to play the audio. Um, he's sitting in his chair like spread eagle. Slumped down. Slumped back in the chair. Like a teenager would in yes, school or like something. Yes, like a teenager in geometry. Like how yeah. it just, it, so disrespectful. Yes. This is a court of law. Okay. We have rules here. It's kind of the fun part is the procedure. How fancy <laughs> and old fashioned it's and it's an old fashioned. Like you gotta respect it. Uh, well, I know it will shock you to hear that he was found guilty and sentenced oh to gosh. death. Oh well, because what state was he tried in? Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Okay, that's not shocking. The only person that testified in his defense to help mitigate the sentencing was one of his brothers who told of their traumatic childhood, but also admitted that no other family members wanted to be involved. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they just chose not to be involved. Disastrous as it was, I don't believe a good defense would have saved him. No, it it didn't matter. It may have saved him from the death penalty, maybe. I do believe he could have possibly escaped the death penalty. Yes. But I mean, in fact, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's, it's, I mean, I think that maybe that's the only thing they could have helped with, but there's a lot of really rough, aggravating factors with these crimes that I don't know if they could get past. I mean, the violence, the nonchalant behavior, the, uh, it's just so rough. Yes. So here's why I say that. Because in fact, it wouldn't have helped. And we know because in 2014, the Tennessee Supreme Court actually overturned his conviction, citing that the trial court should not have allowed information of the Melbourne, Florida murder of Carlos Perez into evidence. Okay, I've, I've seen that happen before. Yes. So he was tried again in 2015 with defense counsel. And it <laughs> Though I will, uh, the caveat is that according to them, he ignored much of their advice and insisted on basically defending himself anyway, even though they were there. And also it didn't work the first time. But in any case, the court withheld the information from the Florida crimes that time. At least during the guilt and innocence mm-hmm. phase of his trial. Evidence from the other murder was only presented in the penalty phase once he was found guilty, and it was once again determined that the death penalty was the proper sentence. Mm -hmm. He then went through the appeals process again, and in 2017, his case was reviewed by the Tennessee Supreme Court again, but this time they said, nope, they did it right this time. Yeah. We affirm. Next up was Florida. Even though he had the death sentence in Tennessee, Florida still chose to move forward with um, the charges on Carlos Perez. 
Yeah, as they should. For the murder of Carlos Perez. So that, of course, was first-degree murder charges. That trial took place in 2013, so about four years after the original Tennessee trial. And you would think that he had learned some sort of lesson from defending himself in the Tennessee trial. <laughs> I don't I don't think that he did, though. No, he did not. He chose to defend himself again, and he was found guilty. But once it was time for the penalty phase, he actually asked for an attorney at that point. So they appointed him an attorney. And then the morning that the penalty phase Uh, trial was to begin. Henry told the judge he did not want a public defender because he believed their office helped the state's attorney plant evidence against him. He does know that they didn't need to plant evidence, right? Like, it was already (laughs) very obvious. The judge told him he had already made that complaint and they had found it to be without merit. (laughs) So he's he like, you overruled. Already, she did that already. Yeah, he yeah. overruled Henry's objection to the public defender. Henry just is scratching things off his list. He's got a list of reasons. And he forgot <laughs> to scratch it off the first time, so he used it again. So his poor public defender, they did their best. Shout out to public defenders because that is a job I could never do. Yeah. He tried to present what he could to the court stating, quote, There are mental health issues with Mr. Jones and or organic brain dysfunction with him. End quote. Organic brain dysfunction. Yeah, I thought that interesting. He retained a forensic psychiatrist to evaluate Henry. The state had plenty of evidence, including that of his previous crimes, to show his heinous nature. But the defense literally had nothing to help mitigate because Henry refused to communicate or cooperate, even with the forensic psychologist who was hired or psychiatrist that was hired by his defense attorney. They just get up in front of the judge and they just shrug. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know, fam. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Lock him up, friends. Yeah. Well, they did. The jury unanimously recommended the death sentence. Of course, with it being Florida, it wasn't over yet because once they recommend the death sentence, then they have to have the Spencer hearing where mitigating evidence can be presented Mm -hmm. to the judge. Yep. Henry still refused to cooperate. But that defense attorney did manage to get some other family members. Oh, that's good. To come and testify. I mean, it's not good because we don't want him to do well, but like good for the defense attorney. Yeah. Because that's hard. Getting family to cooperate is hard. I know. I, it's all I deal with is family. Like, <laughs> yes. grieving family, and it, it's very difficult to get them to do anything. Yes. Well, I wouldn't say that. That's not true. A lot of clients are very... If they're at odds, though, it is. Yes. Yeah, so if, you're, if you're fighting, they don't want to do anything with each other. Yeah. Well, much of the testimony was about the horrific abuse Henry endured growing up. But at least one of his younger brothers claimed to not remember anything out of the ordinary about their upbringing. But honestly, we all know, like, going back to the beginning of my story, he was one of, like, 14 kids. Yeah. So things change. Dynamics change. And most of what little bit was released publicly, like, what we do know about Henry's family, it wasn't necessarily, like, like, his father wasn't in the picture 
he doesn't say his mother abused him. He says older other family members. So those older, I'm guessing like grandparents or aunts and uncles or, you know, great aunts and uncles even, they could have died before that younger brother. Yeah. They could have been out of the picture. They could have passed away or been too old to really be raising and, you know, doing that stuff by the time this younger sibling was that age so it's hard to say but the forensic psychiatrist was unable to give any sort of official opinion because henry wouldn't yeah he's not cooperating the judge followed the jury's recommendation and imposed the death penalty henry appealed all the way to the florida supreme court and in 2017 they affirmed the death sentence Now, you're probably wondering, what about Keith Gross, the first man killed in his home, where they did find that toe print, and they had the testimony of Henry's girlfriend saying, oh, no, yeah, he did all these things and even talked about it. But unfortunately, he was never charged with his death. As sad as it is for especially Keith's family, my presumption is that they waited to see what happened with the Carlos Perez trial because they knew if they got the death penalty for that one and they had the death penalty in Tennessee. It's hard because it's not like you want justice to be served, but also the legal industry is so expensive and difficult to deal with. Yeah. So, you know, I understand why it didn't get done, but it's still frustrating because you want justice to be served for him and his family. Yes. I think they went with Carlos Perez, even though he was killed after Keith as well, because they had more evidence. Mm -hmm. They had even more evidence in that case. It's kind of like triage in these big serial killer cases. You got to pick the ones that are the worst off for the defendant. Yep. Absolutely. But I'm sure it was nevertheless, like you said, it's tough for the families. They see justice being served, but not specifically for their loved one, and that sucks. Hard. But in order for the court to stay as as efficient as they can, which seems silly because they're not, but they try to be, I guess. Um, Fiscally efficient. How about that? Yes. That is the fiscally efficient thing to do, to save tax dollars, if you will. So, yeah, that is the gist of it. Like I said, I wanted to keep the trials short because they're really, like, he just acted a fool. Acted a fool, man. Ridiculous. Yeah. As far as I know, he is still. Oh, yeah. He's definitely not been executed yet. It normally takes, like, decades. I forget. I looked it up. I thought I had it in my notes. Yes. As of May 2022, he remains on death row at the Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in Nashville. All right. Well, you did a great job covering all his different crimes. Like, that's a lot to keep organized. Like You did a great job covering that. Well, thank you. You're so welcome. If you made it to the end of the episode, leave us a little car emoji. Because, <laughs> or a running man. Or a running man. Or a shower. <laughs> or a shower. Leave us something fun. Yeah. 
I like I like the shower. The shower. Shower. That was yeah. That was. I think that's been the funniest bit. Yeah. Leave us a shower emoji if you made it to the end of the video or the video. Oh my gosh. Uh, to the end of the podcast. <laughs> and we'll yeah. see you next week. I don't think we have anything else. No. This was a roller coaster. I'm gonna go rinse my brain out so I can forget about it. Yeah. Kindly. Because this was gross. Ew, David. Ew, David. Ew. Yeah. Well, thanks all for listening. Hope you enjoyed, or we hope you didn't. Not too much. Yeah. We want you to enjoy. Not too much. It's just a fine line we walk, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Have a good day. (laughs) Till next time. Till Thursday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.